From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 407. Today's show is brought to you by Things, Sourcegraph, and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. We're on the road to WWDC. We are, and we're getting closer. It's not quite in the, uh, in the like the road signs are saying WWDC, but it's a large number of miles away still. But it's getting closer. Regular episode next week. Then we're drafting. And then, and then a draft, and then, and then it happens. Up. Yeah. I'm getting pretty hyped about it, personally. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not prepared. I'm not emotionally prepared yet. <laughs> I'm not ready yet, Mike. I'm not, I'm not, my head's not in it yet. Maybe yeah, I next never week. said I was prepared. I just said I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. I'm not ready. I'm just looking forward to it. All right. You know? All right. This is the, this is the big capper of my, uh, my son graduating from high school the same mm-hmm. week as WWDC. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot going on that week, is what I'm saying. There's going to be a lot going on so i'm not prepared for any of it but i better get prepared so yeah it's getting close i have a hashtag snow talk question for you comes from jared who wants to know jason what is your preference in fonts uh are they different for reading and writing how picky do you get a bunch of people just pressed the chapter forward button right there the word fonts came up they're like nope 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 nope, 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 i'm good i i'm not that picky um let me do this uh, quickly. I like to write in monospace fonts. Um, uh, Georgia is my preferred uh, ebook reader font because I think it looks the smoothest and most like print on the Kobo and the Kindle, actually, even if you can get it on the Kindle. Um, sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you can sideload it. Uh, beyond that, I don't get picky at all. So I have I have some preferences of like, well, this one looks nice. And then, yeah, for writing, I prefer mono space fonts right. there i forget even what my default mono is right now i have different default mono space fonts in a few different places um in so really it's like if there's an option for a mono space font in a text editor you'll take it, it you don't really yeah, yeah, care yeah. too much which one it is yeah i'm using right. JetBrains mono and bb edit right now i think i'm using JetBrains mono in a bunch of places but there, there are some other uh, mono space fonts that i've got that i also like that i think i'm using a different one on ios maybe I don't know. It's yeah. Anyway, I I am a monospace. I prefer to write with monospace, and then that's it. I mean, really. Then I'm using default fonts. I think in like Safari and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We're using, um, not not to give anything away, but we're using default fonts in our show document, for example. So, like, because we just don't. We're not that picky. It's yeah, fun. we use Arial. Yeah, I know. Right. I never even really considered it. Like to me, this just is what Google Docs looks like. It's the like. Google Docs font. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like Google have better fonts that they make, which is it's funny that they use it. But like, like the, I think Roboto is their font, and and I actually think it's quite quite a nice looking uh, font. I think it's like the one they made for Android. It's like their version yep. of San Francisco. I wouldn't mind having our show documents set in San Francisco, but I don't even know if that's possible in Google to add fonts. That would be fun though. Oh, Jason's changing all the fonts of our show document to Microsoft yeah, Space, I mean, which just... I hate. I hate this. I hate this. It doesn't have to be mono. That's just one option. We got a lot of options yeah, here. I don't, I don't like what, what you've done, though. It looks really upsetting to me. If you would like to send in a question for us to open an episode of Upgrade, every part of our show document is currently getting changed to a different font now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle this. Uh, you can just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk, or you can use question mark SnellTalk in the RelayFM members Discord and send in a question of your own. Jason, do you remember a number of weeks ago we spoke about tap to pay, which is something that Apple's going to be rolling out, which will allow for payments to be taken via the NFC chip in an iPhone, 
uh, and they were kind of inviting third parties to um, sign sign up and and kind of get involved. You remember that they were opening it up. Yep. Well, nine to five Mac is reporting that Apple's new tap to pay feature for the iPhone uh, is now in use at the Apple Park Visitor Center. So there's a video embedded in the article that they've put together from it from a tweet uh, and so it appears that this is a test of this upcoming feature so you can see somebody paying via apple pay on their iphone by tapping it on the iphone of uh what someone at the store one of the retail representatives at the store so they're clearly using this as like a test for the functionality which is kind of funny because it is presumed uh that this will be an ios 16 feature so it's intriguing right that these mm. phones uh, or these devices uh, have got this function running must be some kind of special build going on there i guess it is just over the road right you <laughs> know it's being made so i'm sure they right. can make that work pretty nicely it's interesting like i i read in this article I, I didn't know this but it makes a lot of sense to me that things like this uh, are tested at the at the uh, apple park store quite frequently which makes a lot of sense right that you would do that it's right yeah. there yeah, I think so. It's a right They're They're using their own terminals in order to test whether they can, because what the benefit for Apple is going to be that they're going to have, um, they're going to be able to take Apple pay using just stock iPhone hardware in stores mm-hmm. using this feature. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about this later on in the episode, but I think previously uh, these, the card readers were iPod touches. They would use iPod touches with this like thing attached to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they don't have those anymore. So well. it's going to have to be an iPhone. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, this may be something, uh, this this feature at the Apple Park uh, Visitor Center that a bunch of developers see in a few weeks. Apple sent out their uh, notice to developers that got approved to go to watch the WWDC thing. We don't have any more details yet still uh, as of recording, but I congratulations to any developer that's going to be going out to, to Apple Park. It'd be pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I would love to know, by the way, uh, any upgradians that are going to be going, uh, I would love to know. You could send us pictures and stuff if you're allowed to do that when you're there. That'd be fun. Yeah. Should we talk about Playdate a little bit? A little Playdate update? I don't want sure. to, but we can. Oh, I mean, you don't have to. I no, can just talk. No, we can. We can talk about it. I'll I'll talk about why in a minute. But uh, I just wanted to say, just a little follow-up, I'm, I'm, uh, this is a pick pack pup uh fan podcast now mm-hmm. um that's what it's gonna be from now on sorry everybody we're just gonna be talking about that little dog and matching three or more items in a grid uh just a great game love it i, I love it more and more the more i play it it's got yep. so many different dimensions very funny it is funny it is it is funny and satirical it is a satire of an amazon warehouse inside an arcade game and it's just fun to play. It's super kind of casual game of the kind that I like where you can just play it for a little bit. Th- those are the games that it turns out that I like the most on Playdate are the ones where you can just play for a few minutes and then set it aside again and mm-hmm. um, and not be so intense yes. about it where I can say, oh, Playdate, yeah, let's do that and then and then play for 10 minutes and then and then set it aside again. Um, so Pick Pack Pup, I love. Yeah, I think Pick Pack Pup is the best game to come from the um, season one so far. Uh, I've there's been at least one game in in the four week releases that I've had so far that I've really liked. Uh, as I said, I really liked the game uh, Bloomin. I think it's called that. Bloom. Um, Bloom. That's which that's I haven't my, played. But that's yeah. my favorite game that I've played so far, uh, and that's a third party title. Um, and I really loved it. Yeah, I um I've been playing. So last week for me, I got Flipper Lifter, 
which yeah, is I got good. that today. I got that today. It's good. I I have to. I, I've taken some time to learn it, but it's actually a very cute mechanic where you use the crank to put an elevator up and down, mm-hmm. and penguins get in and out of the elevator, and you have to that take was the another game to floors that doesn't tell you what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I know. It it just this is my frustration is I just want a little hint screen that says yeah. here's how you do this, and uh, I didn't. I didn't get it, but I do like that. I have not even cracked echoic memory because it had a lot of dialogue, and I was like, oh, I, I, I played a little bit right of it today, now. and it's it's fun. It's also funny, and I like the game mechanic. It's basically like Simon says, kind of. Ah, nice. So I, I just haven't gotten into that one yet. Nope. I'm still playing Kranken's Time Travel Adventure. I get to mm-hmm. a hard one, and then I, I sort of like leave it, and then I keep coming back to it and trying to break that that uh, that level and and figure out that cycle and then it's on to the next difficult cycle but i'm still impressed by that i'm still playing wet water wipeout too now that i finally figured out how to how to play it it's actually fun and very quick um which i like so um i'm just saying it's uh i'm pretty happy with it if i had any feedback about it i know we talked about their their strategy of dropping two games every week um i i now think i think they should have started with four games and then two every week and then two every week i think you're because right. i think that i think that the out-of-box experience when you only have the two games and they're whitewater wipeout and casual birder i think it's not i think it's not enough i think i think you need to get started i think you need a little more variety than that mm-hmm. so that that's sort of my um putting on my critics hat i think maybe that is a way to split the difference between you don't want to give people 24 games up front. I mean, that's not, it's too much. You don't want that. But I think that the two games in week one, you, it's something that we talked about with the, remember the uh, iPhone uh, transfer frustrations that people would have where we, we said your happy day when you get a new iPhone, it should be happy and not frustrating. And Apple has spent the last few years sort of trying to, to make it less frustrating. Well, that's sort of how I feel about the play dates. Like you get the play date and you're really excited. And then there are two games and um, you don't understand them and like, or they, or you bounce off of them. And then you've got to wait a week before there's a chance that you might find other games that you like. And I think it's just a mistake. I think you need to go out stronger, even if then the games come every, uh, you know, two a week. Um, So yeah, that's my, that's my take on that. The reason I didn't want to talk about play date is because I've broken my play date and I am not broken. Um, I dropped it. I had the case on. I dropped it. It landed screen down, and mm. it uh, broke part of the. It's broken part of the screen inside. There's nothing on the outside. It's on the inside. I put a link in the show notes. You can see on the bottom left. Put an image in the show notes. In the bottom left of the screen, you can see it as like a little broken area, and it's completely destroyed the the screen itself. I cannot describe, Jason, how upset I am about this. I. Wow. I'm really, really sad about it because I love the Playdate. Like it's, this is the weird thing for me where like it brings me such joy to play it, but now it's broken. I'm really sad about it. Um, I'm currently playing some of the games via the Mirror app on my Mac, you know, because you can plug it in via USB and you can play them that yeah. way, which works, but it's just not the same. And also, like when I'm if, if I'm like playing and looking at the screen, the screen is flashing and flickering all over the place, which is really distracting. Um, this happened last Thursday. Uh, I sent a support ticket into the Panic Playdate team last Thursday to tell them what I'd done and ask if there's anything that can be done. I haven't heard from them yet. Um, I really hope that they will say, 
give us money and we'll send you another one. Mm-hmm. Because this is the issue with their system right now is I would like to replace it, but I would have to currently get into the back of the queue and wait right. until 2023. So I don't know. <laughs> I know that like they are replacing broken models. Like if, if they send you a model and it's broken, like it doesn't work, they're replacing it. Um, I hope that they would extend a similar thing to me and I'll pay them, right? Like I'm not right. looking for a free unit, but like I would really love to be able to just give them another $180 or whatever it is and get another one. Um, and I'll send them back this one because, I mean, if, I don't know, it fell from like four feet and it had the cover on it. Um, and so I'm, you know, it, it broke in a way that I'm surprised it broke. I'm not like anything could break at this height, like a phone could break or whatever. Uh, but I would just, I would love to be able to replace it. Like I really want to be able to replace it. And I'm trying to do this the right way. Like I'm not tweeting about this, right? Like right. we're talking about it here because like this is a podcast no, and like, no, it's, you know, it's not going to, no one's going to hear it. Uh, <laughs> but like, so I've, you know, I've sent them a ticket and I'm hoping that they will get to that ticket within the next few days and give me some kind of resolution to it. Uh, if they don't, then they don't. And, you know, I broke the thing. I'm, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to flame them. I'll be sad about it. Uh, but then I'm going to have to go to the aftermarket, which I really don't want to do. Right. So I hope that they can give me some kind of solution because currently I am heartbroken about my yeah. little yellow box being broken. It, it's interesting that there's the um, there's the whole thing about, like, we have to ship these products, but there's... And that's been a story they've told, the complexity of that. But there's this whole other complexity, right, which is they need to have an infrastructure to replace broken mm-hmm. uh, bro- broken units, whether they're broken by you or broken like in transit or, or they didn't they weren't right. Like they, they can't just ship them out there and go, good luck and not offer support. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a whole extra level of complexity. Well, I guess we'll follow Cause along. Because I don't know what the right thing to do is, right? Like. Do you, because I say, like, I dropped mine and broke mine, right? Do you yeah. replace me or do I go to the back of the line? I don't know which is more fair. I, I feel like the right thing for them to do is, and the fair thing for them to do is is essentially to have a repair program where you send it in and pay a fee and they send you one back, whether it's yours or a different one yeah. that is the that is the repair and that the repair program is different from waiting in line to buy another one but i don't know i mean that's their decision too yeah because it's like part of the money i paid is for these games i can't get i guess i can the the good thing is i can play them it's just not as fun right but like at least if they tell me no i can at least play these games it's just not as enjoyable for me to play because you have to sit at a computer playing them and it's just it's not the same like yeah so this is this damage is like the screen is unusable now Mm -hmm. like i can't see anything on the screen anymore it's completely busted the screen when you say aftermarket you're like well if you can't get one for three years you're going to investigate can you buy that screen and then reattach it yourself that sort of thing uh I don't know. This thing doesn't seem live very user replaceable. I, yeah, it doesn't I, seem. Yeah, it's like I also wouldn't. You know, I, I don't think it's gonna work. Send it to Quinn. Send it to Quinn Nelson. He'll take it apart. Mm. He likes to do that. Mm-hmm, but he won't put it back together. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jason, you have a note in uh, show notes here that you're upset yep. about something about Apple Music, and I can't understand yes. what what it is. So okay. Yes, this is welcome to Jason complains about Apple Music. It's a new segment. One time. 
Maybe. One time soon. Maybe more. We'll see. Um, okay, so I listen to a lot of Apple Music playlists. That's one of the, that's the one I'm working. That's the thing I do. So I open up the Alt Control playlist, which is the alternative uh, curated playlist. So it's an Apple Music playlist. It's not a playlist I made. It's a playlist made by the, the curators at Apple. Mm-hmm. And for the, for the last few months you know since they redesigned their playlist they have like a lead item on the playlist which is weird where they have like they they have a takeover the art on the playlist is an artist and they have a little blurb at the top that it's like from an interview with the artist or the artist's publicity representatives or whatever and it's like oh here's a little tidbit from this artist whose new song is on the playlist and you know part of me thinks this I don't think that Apple is being sleazy by doing this, but it has that music industry promotional vibe that's kind of sleazy, which is like, we're pushing this artist hard. And 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 so we're going to do an interview and he's going to be in our playlist and it's going to be great. And I don't love it, but it's like, it's fine. In the end, I don't need to read the thing or look at the art and the song is in there and I'll like it or I won't like it. However, recently uh, they did something new which is they've added an additional track to the playlist, which is a 37-second-long voice interview with the artist that they're promoting in the playlist mm-hmm. this week. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, talking to my, to my wife about this, she, she points out that when we're in the car and we're listening to the radio on like the satellite radio and the, and the DJ comes on between the songs that I complain or I change the, the channel because I just don't want to hear them talk. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's a choice. Some people like to hear those people talk. That's why they have jobs. I don't particularly like it. I just want to hear more music, so I'll just change the channel. Mm-hmm. And it is true that when this, if I if I listen to this playlist, I can just skip the guy talking, and it's okay. But I will point out that this little addition exacerbates a problem with Apple Music, which is there's no way to tell Apple Music not to play something in one of its playlists, right? Mm -hmm. There is a dislike command you can do to a song now, right? So you can like a song, you can get a little heart, you can love a song, but you can also say, I don't like this song. However, what does that do? It seems to impact the uh, algorithm, for Apple Music. So like, what do you like and what do you not like? What it doesn't seem to do is not play that song when you're in a playlist. (laughs) And it's driving me uh, batty because, and this is a bigger issue than just the 37 seconds of of the dude talking about his song, which I don't want to hear. And it's very jarring when suddenly it's not music on my music playlist and there's just this guy talking. But the bigger issue is you know that's that playlist is seventy six songs. Well, okay, it's seventy five songs, and then a a song of a guy talking about his song. There are a bunch of songs on there that I don't want that I don't like, and I don't want to hear. But I still want to shuffle through the playlist because there are a lot of songs on there that I do like. And that's where I discover new music. And as far as I can tell, there's no way for me to say don't play this again, <laughs> right? I have no ability. It, back in the old iTunes days, you could like uncheck a track, right? Do you remember that? And it'd be like, don't, I don't, so. don't play, don't play. I check, have a question for you. When yeah. you start playing, like when when I play an album or whatever, 
I can go into like a queue and I can remove things from the queue when it's playing. Do you get the ability to do that when it's a playlist like this? Yes. Yes, but then you're doing. But this is my point: is then you're doing maintenance every time you play yeah. the playlist. You have to go into up next and say, "Oh, let's Which see if there's anything." Not the point of these playlists, right? They're supposed to give you what you want to listen to. Right at that point, it would be easier for me to wait for the song I don't like to come on and then press next. Right, yeah. that would be less intensive yeah. work for me yeah. Yeah. to yeah. do it that way. But what I really want to do is, hey, I told you I ne- I don't like this. Don't play it, or have an mm. option somewhere that says. Don't play things I don't like or have an option somewhere in addition to disliking something that says don't play this. I find this weird because it's like, why? Why is this even here? Like, this is a music playlist. Like, if I wanted the interviews, I would listen to beat the whatever they call it, beat one or app music one or whatever they call it. Right. The radio station. Like, I'm choosing to listen to a playlist of songs. It's like, because then it's like, why is there only one of them if you're going to... Like, I get it. Like, this is odd to me. This reminds me, like, Adina is a Spotify user. And a couple of weeks ago, she was listening... Like, she just does what most Spotify users do, right? Which is like, I want to listen to the playlist they've made me. They know my music taste or that kind of thing. And she tried out a new one. It was called, like, The Morning Playlist or something. And, like, every couple of songs, it would play a segment from a podcast. <laughs> like, what? just a segment. It's like a, like a news kind of thing. And like I'd hear her skipping them. I'm like, what is going on? And she's like, this, she said, I tried this new, and then she told me, like, I tried this new playlist thing out. I was like, that is terrible. Like, <laughs> I can't think, like, what are you try- they're trying to do there is rebuild the morning radio, right? Yeah, so like a few songs and radio. then here's some news. And then like, but that to me is like terrible. Like, I don't, this this idea of this morning show vibe thing, it doesn't, just because it exists, it doesn't mean we should replicate it. Like, and also that's not even the way to replicate it. Like, here's six segments from six different podcasts intermingled <sighs> with three songs each time or whatever. So here, here's the thing. I am absolutely accepting of the idea that some people like this, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't like it. But I'm not going to say because I don't like it, nobody should have it. Mm. I'm not going to be that kind of a person. I'm going to say people obviously do like this because otherwise, if nobody liked it, why would you spend money and time and effort doing it? What I'm saying is I don't like it. And I would like something since we are now in a digital streaming world. We have all of the we have an app. We have software. We have all this intelligence. We have an interface. I just want to be able to say I don't want to hear it. Mm hmm. Right. I mean, I'm paying for Apple Music. <laughs> Apple Music is supposed to do what I want. I'm not even listening to streaming radio. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm literally I can do next track at every time. I don't understand. Like, this is why you are degrading. Honestly, you're degrading the experience by not letting me shut it off. And that's that's all I'm really asking for. I actually don't mind if they do all sorts of interviews and stuff in. Uh, I've had to do this, by the way, with albums that I've bought where there's like the special extended version of the album that's got an extra track on it, but it also has a bunch of interviews. And I have to go in and, and remove the, the tracks that are not the, from my library <laughs> yeah. or change them to a different album name so that they're not, when I play the album, they don't play the interviews because I don't want to hear the interviews. I maybe wanted to hear them one time, but I don't ever want to hear them again. And by the way, that's the other thing about this thing is if I if I listen to that playlist multiple times and I start from the top and don't and don't shuffle, the first thing every time will be the interview with the guy, just the same one. 
It's like what? Are you, it's not. It's a playlist of songs. It's not an interview show. So Zach had mentioned in the Discord that this week's playlist, the uh, interview part, is the third track. So it's it's now become even unreliable for you because oh, it's going to appear at random points. Okay. I, I what I don't know, and I so and I I haven't had a chance to verify this. What I don't know is if they are doing some magic behind the scenes where if you shuffle it, it doesn't play. I don't know that. I would doubt that. I would doubt <laughs> I it. it will play. Right? It will but imagine play. how bad that is, too, where yeah. it's like you've got a 1 in 76 chance of just some random dude talking about his song coming up. <laughs> it's just like like you heard the song six songs ago, and now, right. now here's the Black Keys to tell you about their new hit. The bottom line here is Apple needs to do a better job in the music app of understanding when we don't like something and don't want to hear about it. Because this is this is what is happening here, is they make these great curated playlists, which I like a lot, and they let us give our opinions about what we like and we don't like, and those seem to feed into their algorithms about mm. uh, other, other kinds of suggestions and music we get or our personal radio stations and all of those things. But it's missing this one thing, which is, what are the chances that out of 75 songs, I'm going to um, find a handful that I hate? Mm. pretty pretty big pretty big why do i have to skip them every time right like this is a computer it's marked as dislike <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard and you're like well maybe dislike means something different and you don't actually want to skip it. it's like okay make a preference that says skip disliked songs that would be great let's do that we could do that but um they don't do that so here we are. Anyway, that's my that's my rant. That's my complaint. Okay. Is they're inserting um they're inserting things that aren't songs and playlists. And uh, if you try to escape it by saying I don't like it, because I did, I disliked that guy talking about his song. I, I I marked that down as a dislike, but it doesn't really matter. It's still going to play it because it doesn't care that I dislike it. It's going to make me listen to the start of it and then and then skip over it. It's like be better, Apple. That's what I'm saying. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Things, the award-winning to-do app. If you want to achieve a goal, you've got to have a plan. And when it comes to making plans, there's no better tool than the award-winning Things app. The idea behind Things is simple. Create a project for each of your goals, add the steps to reach those goals, then choose which days you want to work on them. Each morning when you wake up, Things has already prepared your to-dos for the day. Just spend a few minutes reviewing the list, put your to-dos in the order that you plan to do them, then get on with it. It doesn't matter which device you're on, your to-dos are always in sync, on your computer, in your pocket, and even on your wrist. You can also connect your calendars so you can see your events in line, schedule to-dos that automatically repeat for you, and even write notes with markdown support and so much more. But when it comes to things, what you'll love most is the app's design. Every detail is thoughtfully considered, then polished to perfection. It's also a completely native app on the Apple's platforms and a two-time winner of the Apple Design Award. I'll say for good reason. Things is without a doubt the best-looking to-do app that I have ever used. And it's why I use it very frequently. I use it for a bunch of template tasks that I have when I just want to create a real nice list with some notes and go through and check them all off. And it feels so great to check them all off on the iPhone. They have good tap text and all that kind of stuff. So if you haven't tried Things, you should check out the latest version. Go over to their website, thingsapp.com. That's T-H-I-N-G-S-A-P-P.com. Learn about all their great features and download a free trial for your Mac. You can also just search for Things on the App Store. Whatever it is you want to accomplish in life, 
things can help you get there. Try Things today at thingsapp.com. You won't regret it. Our thanks to Things for their support of this show and Relay FM. Time for a rumor roundup for you, Jason Snell. Yeehaw. Mark Gurman has given a couple more details on what he believes we can expect for WWDC. This comes from Mark's Power On newsletter at Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. Quote, while I don't expect Apple to present a full redesign of the software, there should be major changes across the system, new ways of interacting and some fresh Apple apps. The news about watchOS 9 will be significant as well. So this adds to Mark's previous reports of revamped notifications and health upgrades. So there's a couple of things I wanted to mention on this. One, I guess we're in high season for WWDC info, but as of yet, as of recording today, hasn't been anything major, right? No screenshots, no like, here's what's going on, right? This is about as much as we've gotten so far. Um, The thing that is most surprising to me here is watchOS 9 will be significant. I, I kind of didn't really think there would be any significant uh, watch OS upgrades for a, until I guess they really change what the watch is. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if they changed the watch's shape or they changed the watch's screen size significantly, like maybe it would be significant. But other than that, it kind of felt like to me, watch OS nine was just going to be getting like small features or features that um, go along with iPhone right. features. So like the fact that there were new health stuff on the phone made me figure there'd be new health stuff on the watch. Well, there was there was the rumor out there that they were going to revamp all the old watch faces and bring them up to speed. So mm-hmm. maybe there's maybe that watchOS nine will be significant in a way because they're going to kind of break the seal on a bunch of Good stuff point. that they haven't touched since the beginning and reconfigure some things. And maybe that means that uh, th- there will be some changes in what the complications do or uh, access to watch faces or who knows what. But like I. I it that rumor makes me think that that's what's going on is a kind of a refresh and a letting go of some of the old uh, you know original Apple Watch conceptions in version nice. nine. I would like that. Um, new ways of interacting and some fresh Apple apps. I don't really know what that means. Um, it's maybe, pretty big, isn't it? Yeah, maybe it will make sense later on. But like, you know, I could imagine you know something we were talking about a lot. Uh, last year, you know, Safari was the only app that got this like rethink of navigation, you know, like that as screen sizes have gotten bigger, the main amount of, of uh, navigation stuff was moved to the bottom, which the maps had had it previously, right? Like maps had kind of gone that way and then Safari had gone that way. I would, I wouldn't mind seeing some of that, you know, provided it's done well. <laughs> you know, Safari, uh, I think is in a great place now, but wasn't at, the f- at first uh, on the iPhone. So I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how to read this. It's just, it's so vague that mm-hmm. you know, great new ways of interacting. All right, major changes across the system, but not a full redesign. Some fresh Apple apps. I, what does that mean? I don't know, man. Those new apps or those updated apps? Well, we'll just see. Let's just, we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I don't know what that means, really. But the watchOS 9 part was the part that, that surprised me the most, and was mm-hmm. mo- mostly why I wanted to include this, because I hadn't really considered that as a thing. Uh, Mac Rumors is reporting that purple could be a new color option for iPhones this year. Quote, said to be a unique finish that shifts tone based on lighting conditions. So the report, which is coming again from uh, Weibo, 
is saying that purple will be the color, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my expectation here, just from thinking about this and looking at how Apple's done this in the past, is that the unique finish version will be on the Pro phones right. and the regular phones will get just a kind of flat purple color. Yep. That's what yeah, I Yeah, I think that's right. The color, the color uh, czar will have to uh, keep an eye on this, but I... Um... It's fine. They refresh their colors every year. I think that's good. If mm-hmm. they've got somebody saw one that they thought was impressive, and so there, there's a report about it, that's great. I don't. I still don't entirely understand what Apple's doing with its color palette on the iPhone. Uh, my biggest one, though, my biggest mystery is why they have the spring extra color thing they've done the last two years. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't understand that at all. It, not only is it weird that like there's this col- extra color that appears, and I, I, I know we've talked about this before, but like I don't know who's going to say, "Oh, wait, wait, green." Oh, they finally made a green iPhone. Well, then now I'll buy Now's my the iPhone. Time to buy, yeah. And then they do advertising where they advertise the fact that there's a green iPhone. It's mm-hmm. like who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares? That there's a green iPhone. I don't understand. Why didn't you come out with an extra color in the fall? Oh, well, we couldn't make that. All right, I guess. But why Why in the spring do you bring out a green yep. iPhone? I don't. Or, or purple the previous year, right? It's like, I just don't, I don't understand what they're doing with, with that. And that, that I'm going to put it on the pile of color-related things I don't understand about Apple strategy. I saw the green for the first time this weekend. It was in uh, London and went, was going to buy the Apple store and we had to pop in for something. So I was like, oh, look, there's the green one. And it's a nice green. You know, like if that green would have been available when the uh, iPhone 13 lineup came out, maybe mm-hmm. that would have been where I went instead of gold. But like I wasn't yeah. a big fan of the, the whatever color blue it's called. Um, I, I didn't really like that blue. Mm-hmm. Pacific blue, right? And then the green I, is alpine yeah, green on the Pro phone. I, something like that, yeah. There is also, um, you, you know, Shoreditch in London, right? It's a pretty cool, like, hip area. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is, like, some rule in Shoreditch or it's, like, just, like, a fun thing that people do. But there's an area in Shoreditch where there's a lot of advertising, which is murals. They're murals. They're painted onto the walls. And there is a really great Apple one, which is like, you know, like the regular Apple like billboard, right? It's got like the two mm-hmm. green phones and it's like iPhone now in green or whatever it is. But they've just painted that on the wall and it looks mm. just like the billboard. Like it's it's really cool. So, uh, you know, just a couple of things about the green iPhones that I've encountered in my travels in the last couple yeah. of weeks. I just don't um, understand it. The, I don't know. The... I don't know why either. I mean, you've got to assume it must make sense because they've done it more than once now. But I find it very odd. Like, it is very odd. Like, why another color? Why, like, halfway through the cycle, this is the only change that the phones get. They get one extra color added to the lineup. And I get that it gets them, you know, it allows them to have something to talk about when they don't have anything new. But you could, the counter argument is, if you train people that if they don't like all the colors, they should just wait and and buy it later on. Like, you're deferring sales by doing that. Or maybe that's the strategy, but... I, I just, it, it frustrates me. And, and what really frustrates me is you end up with these kind of inexplicable billboards that are like a green phone and regular people out in the world, I've, you know, who I know say, what, why is that a thing? And my answer is, I don't know why that's a thing. I don't know why it's a, they're, they're av- heavily advertising that, that now last year's iPhone also comes in green. I don't. 
get it. So I guess we'll see which fo- colors are represented in the fall and which one will be the odd man out and have yeah. to wait for next spring. Yeah, I mean, and I completely would accept that this is like a blind spot that I have through through being so focused on when the iPhone comes out, right? That like people aren't as clued in on it, although I don't know how you couldn't be with the iPhone, especially because it's like front page news when it when there's a new iPhone, uh, especially if it has any interesting features. Yeah. But like, so, you know, maybe they're like, the people are just like, oh, green one. But again, yeah. it's like, I, I still can't imagine it's ma- that's massive business. The oh, well, a green and, and, one, and crowd. it's not like a watch band where you're like, oh, here's a new watch band yeah. color, right? It's like, like oh, I, I'll collect them all. I'm gonna get all the colors of iPhone and have them in my pocket. I uh, okay, yeah. Like, and I know that people like. And I've said it before, and it's like this idea of like in some cultures, it's like really beneficial to have the newest thing, right? Like that's one of the reasons you change the design is so it is obvious that you have the new device. But again, like I still can't imagine the green one is enough to drive that either. So, I mean, I don't know, but they do it for a reason, right? And if they keep doing it, there must be a reason. But I can't get my head around why exactly it's that important now to have a new version of both phones in a new color odd yeah ming chi kuo is reporting that apple could be preparing an apple tv refresh for later in 2022 uh quo quotes a uh, is quoting improved cost structure as the reason for this okay. so in trying to tease that apart a little bit this is the thing. Like, Ming-Chi Kuo, I'm so happy that Ming-Chi Kuo is on Twitter, right? So I can actually see what Ming-Chi Kuo says rather than, like, everybody reporting on what Ming-Chi Kuo says. And, like, so, but the thing is, because Ming, the area in which Ming-Chi Kuo works in is very much this kind of area. It's less Mark Gurman, right? Where, like, Mark will get a piece of information and will build a story around it. Where Ming-Chi Kuo is just, like, sharing analyst information, which is, like, like improved cost structure. So if I'm trying to tease that apart, my expectation here is options, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I could imagine improved cost structure being we've got the Apple TV where it is right now at its price, which is, I don't know, a million dollars, basically, for the value you get from an Apple TV box. Uh, like, was it like a hundred and something, something dollars an Apple TV right now? What is it, 199 it's one ninety nine for the big one, one forty nine for the the one with a little less storage, and uh, the or that's one forty nine for the old model, the HD right. one ninety nine and one seventy nine for the the four K models. Okay. So yeah, and I assume you only get the new mo- the remote with the two expensive ones. I expect you've got the old remote right. with the cheap one. So really, like if you look at this, the Apple TV, I mean, we know this is terrible value, right, as a product, because especially now that the TV app which is the only thing that Apple makes that is important for a TV device like this, is on televisions. It's on Roku. It's on everything, right? Yeah. You, know, you can just get the TV app wherever you want to, wherever you're currently watching TV, by and large, if you have some kind of internet-connected thing. Real-time follow-up, uh, Zach says that the, they put the new remote on all models. They don't want to make that old remote anymore. Good. But they nevertheless, don't. right? So I'm standing by what I said, right? Like 149 this, when you've got a, a lot of 4K devices that are under $50. Mm-hmm. So I could imagine improved cost structure being like a spread of this line. So like I think Apple need to just get rid of this price point, just say goodbye, and do a really cheap version, 
which really is just TV apps, because that's all that should be on the Apple TV anyway, in my opinion. And then a more expensive version, which, like, in the future, which incorporates everything that we want, right? Which is, like, it's a HomePod and an Apple TV all in one. I feel like since Ming-Chi Kuo is looking at the supply side uh, the and the parts that go into these devices, that when he talks about improved cost structure, he's literally talking about using, uh, designing something that uses things that don't cost very much so that Apple can mm-hmm. sell a cheaper product at the margins that they're used to. So what is that? I, I, I don't know. I, I think that part of the challenge with the whole Apple TV HD and 4K um, generations is they were engineered for that, like, you know, future of TV is apps kind of scenario with games mm-hmm. and all of that. And so on, on that level, I think you're right that the way you get something down in under $100 is by having it not particularly perform well at things like games. Um, because who cares? And you really want it to be able to play video and, you know, like do Apple Fitness, which is, you know, basically one of the few things that really does require an Apple TV at this point. Um, stuff like that, but not have the kind of power that is required to do uh, games and stuff like that. And you you just try to build something around that price point, which none of these are. I mean, that's. I think that's one of the reasons why the Apple TV HD is 149. Part of it is Apple just, you know, wants to make money, but part of it is that it was engineered for a different strategy. And that strategy that it was engineered for has some costs in terms of what's in that product. So yep. if they're really doing a new... What he what he says is a new version of Apple TV that improves cost structure. That sounds to me like they're recasting the product around um, what they now think the Apple TV's role is. And that might be for the whole uh, product line. Maybe it's scalable and it starts lower and it goes higher. Mm-hmm. Or it may be that there's going to be a new Apple TV that is the cheap one and the existing 4K just sort of remains at its price point. That's that's kind of interesting. But um, as somebody who just bought an Apple TV because I wanted to put a TV in a room for Apple Fitness, and I was like, oh, yeah, you kind of need an Apple TV for that. So I bought an Apple TV, and I thought to myself, oh, boy, you know, here I am buying a $150 Apple TV. It's kind of ridiculous when I, you know, bought a, a 4K Roku for $40 or something like that. But, yep. um uh, you know, it, it's not a key part of Apple strategy, but it w- sure would be nice if Apple could bring its approach to this hardware down to a lower price point so that they, they could at least have an argument against some of these. Uh, you know, I, I I got a lot of feedback when I wrote that article about the Apple TV a year or two ago from people like, oh, but, you know, it's uh, it's privacy and all the, all these things. And my biggest answer was was yes, but if you're talking to a consumer and their options are $150 or $30, saying, but privacy, it's like most most people are going to be like, nah, $30, right? <laughs> like, it's like $30 wins over 150 Maybe if it was 70 or 60 uh, or 80 it's at least a better chance that you're going to grab some of those people and have them use Apple's product. Mason in the Discord asked, what if it's just like an AirPlay receiver, like a Chromecast? I don't like that kind of model. 
Like, I want something with a remote. Like, this is why Google now makes the Chromecast with Google TV, right? You can buy a Chromecast, which is just like, on your phone, you can say, watch this. Or you you can also have that functionality, but also like a menu that you can scroll through with a remote and tap right. on the like you know, so you're using the actual stick itself. Also all all new TVs and most boxes do airplay already. Yeah. So what would be the point? Apple needs to make something that's differentiated in some way that makes you go, Oh well, I'm gonna choose the Apple one because mm-hmm. and I do think that there need to be apps on it, right? They all of the video apps and that whole video ecosystem that they've built, I think makes you know, makes sense. That's what the competitors do. So I don't think they're going to do something that's that simple because they've kind of solved that problem by getting AirPlay compatibility in um, so many devices. So it really is, you know, they really need to make something like the Apple TV, but but a lot cheaper than it is now. They could make something a lot smaller and cheaper with less specs yeah. that still does everything they need it to do. And you're right. They could pull out some of the graphics. They could pull out some, potentially. They could pull out some of the home stuff. I mean, there are lots of things that they could pull out. I'm not sure how many of them they need to pull out. The real challenge is they just need to make it using parts that will allow them to sell it for a lot cheaper. That's mm-hmm. what they need to do. This week's episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. So you've hired a brilliant developer. That's awesome. But now you have to get them onboarded. If your company is growing, onboarding new developers will become a common occurrence but it's a big undertaking every time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project that their new team is working on, like that they are getting involved in. This can be tricky if the code bases that your developers are working in are already large. Thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move fast even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most useful when it's findable. Centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations, how do you make all of that knowledge accessible to those that need it when they need it? As a code intelligence platform, Sourcegraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, which is cumbersome and time-consuming and could be wrong. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for for themselves and everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worthy of taking that extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier, and today they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of five of the top tech companies, plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, Atlassian, and many, many more. Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more right now. That is about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for your team. You can also just click the link in the show notes and that will let them know that you found out about them from this show. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for their support of Upgrade and Relay FM. Ming-Chi Kuo reported last week that Apple is planning on replacing the Lightning connector with USB-C for the 2023 iPhone line. Uh, some time ago, Kuo said that this was something that Apple was not looking at because of their, they, they wanted to keep the MFI program intact. But he is now changing his guidance on this. Uh, It is not clear yet as to whether this would be on only some models or the whole line initially or going into the future. Of course, Apple could possibly be doing this to stay ahead of regulation, especially in the European Union. But USB-C is a connector that Apple uses on many of their devices at this point, including those that run iPadOS. Mark Gurman followed up with a report in Bloomberg. 
saying that as well as working on the switch over to USB-C, Apple is working on an adapter to allow for future iPhones to work with previous Lightning-based cables and accessories. Everyone remembers the Lightning to 30 pin if you were around. Um, uh, Mark also notes that this move obviously would lessen Apple's control with the MFI program, referring to Ming-Chi Kuo's previous report that they didn't want to let it go because USB-C is an open standard, right? So people could just make iPhone accessories. Apple owns Lightning, so they have to approve commercial products that use the Lightning port. Yeah. If, you know, obviously people find ways to get around it, but they're not legally allowed to do that. Yeah. Ming-Chi Kuo then also followed up with another report. <laughs> There's a real shootout at the rumor. Yeah, it's they like, pew, pew, pew. They, he would expect AirPods, key, the keyboard, the mice, and everything else that currently uses Lightning to switch away at some point in the future, mm-hmm. meaning that USB-C is the current expectation for Apple across everything. Uh, Quo also mentioned that this idea of a portless iPhone could still be some way away if ever, quote, current limitations of wireless technologies and the immature MagSafe ecosystem uh, would warrant that unlikely. Mm. What do you think about all of this? I'm. It's time. Yes. That's, that's what I think. It's yes. time. It, Very lightning, much so. Light, look, Lightning was a an Apple-invented way to get a better port because USB-A was bad. And they and needed the to move pin off of the 30-pin. The 30-pin was worse. They needed to move off of the 30-pin to something that would fit on a phone, um, but the 30-pin was bad. And USB-C wasn't available yet, mm-hmm. so they made Lightning. Do you remember when the 30-pin, you used to have to squeeze the little things on the side oh, so yeah. you could safely disconnect it? Yeah. Um, so... Apple decided to do this, and then the USB-C came out. It's like a sunk cost kind of thing where Apple's like, well, no, we already did our Lightning thing. We're going to stick with it. And they, right. and there are things about Lightning that are uh, superior. Some of the decisions they made, I think, were made for the port to be more resilient. The fact that it's like a little, uh, a little metal thing that you stick into the port as opposed to USB-C where it's a round thing. And in the port, there has to be a little... It's like the the lightning. It's like reversed. The lightning port that you stick in on a USB C device. It's got a little post that's sticking out inside of that port. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see how that that you know what I've heard is that uh, lightning is more resilient and it's it's maybe more water resistant and all these things. However, it's over. Like, it's over. And I know that a bunch of people were saying, oh, everybody's going to complain that Apple keeps changing their formats, right? Because for 10 years, 10 years they've been using Lightning and now they're going to change it. Everybody's going to like, I don't want want to buy new stuff. Apple's just doing this. The difference this time is Apple's not going from a proprietary connector to a proprietary connector. This time Apple's going to go from a proprietary connector to a standard connector. And you know what? USB-C is already everywhere and Mm -hmm. that's accelerating. So in those hotels that offer USB-C and Lightning, if you get one of the new iPhones from 2023, you'll just plug it into the USB-C one instead because there will be a USB-C one there because USB-C is what everybody uses. Now, there are some arguments about like the EU saying everybody's going to use USB-C that I think are strong when you say, how do we, we need to be able to innovate. And if a new port, you know, if you had made this rule in the past, we would have all been stuck on USB-A. So you need to let us innovate. But that said, everything uses USB-C. I was, I can't tell you how delighted I was when my new Kobo had USB-C on it, when the Playdate had USB-C on it. Because it was like, that's one less weird cable that I have to bring with me in order to charge something. So I, I 
it is more, I mean, it's about time. It, it should probably have happened sooner, but it needs to happen. And it needs to happen everywhere because I, I still have those moments where I'm like, oh, I need to charge this magic trackpad. Oh, right. Lightning on the Mac just for this, right? Like just for this. Um, so yeah, change it all. Go to USB-C. Uh, make some adapters if you need to, but we'll all get over it. Yeah, like this. Like I understand that people say what you said, right, about the EU of like, oh, but like, what if it's worse, or what if it's stifling innovation? Fine, but right now, <laughs> I know that USB C is would be my preferred over Lightning because currently I have to take extra cables in my bag for my iPhone, where yep. I already have USB C. For everything yep. else that I'm working on. And like USB C cables, really easy to find. Like, because so much stuff has USB C now, including like literally every other smartphone. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it, That's it, right. it, this worked perfectly fine before there was a better connector. But like this USB C will be the best connector for this for like the next 10 to 15 years. Then we'll work out that other part later on. But for yep. right now, like USB C is the move. And like as someone pointed out in the chat, I forgot who it was now it scrolled by uh Tony. Like Apple obviously had a hand in the creation of USB C, right? Because like sure. it was the original connector for Thunderbolt. Not the and original, they've embraced but, it everywhere yeah, else. It wasn't the original. But yeah, they've embraced it everywhere. And so like then the idea is, if there is to be a better port, well, everyone should work together and create that better port, right? Rather than like, oh, now Apple's come up with a better port, so now they can make their accessories for their phones yeah. that are benefiting them mainly for like the next 10 years. Like, no, just just all work together. I'm kind of skeptical that there will be a better port. I, I think maybe there's going to be a very, very, very long time when people are just iterating on this plug with, you know, don't don't get me wrong. USB-C and Thunderbolt and all that, they will still have 80 different confusing flavors of whatever it is they're doing, but they'll all probably be on this port, mm-hmm. and that's probably okay. And I, I was reminded of, um, I was listening this weekend to ATP from last week while I was mowing the lawn, and they were talking about the idea of uh, wiring your house for Ethernet, which Casey is going to do, and the the rate at which... Uh, wireless technologies will overcome the need for wired internet in your house, wired ethernet in your house. And I think about that a little bit with USB-C as well, that Mm. I I do think that there will be alternatives, both wireless and, you know, magnetic attachment and things that Apple can work on, which is sort of what Ming-Chi Kuo says here is like, you know, the dream is the portless iPhone, but that's not anytime soon. Um, so, you know, keep working on that stuff. But there are so many reasons to have a physical connection on a device because sometimes that's the only way to get things on and off or do it quickly or or reset it or whatever. And USB-C is the right answer there. So the sooner the better. So we may say goodbye to the Lightning Connector, but for right now, we have to say goodbye to the iPod. Uh, I mean, we'll say goodbye to the Lightning Connector, but also we'll be saying hello to a, a nice... Dongletown era, will we mm-hmm. not? Back to Dongletown. There are some more more adapters in the future. Maybe they'll make a music dongle. I don't know, but I don't. <laughs> I, 
I I hate so you know I listen to enough podcasts um, that and I've been I've been you know working in the backyard and driving around the Bay Area that, mm-hmm. so I've been listening to a lot of podcasts that I all the ideas I had about things to say about the iPod I feel like uh, other people have already said but I'm going to say some of them anyway which mm-hmm. is the iPod Touch was discontinued the truth is the iPod died when the iPod Classic was discontinued because the iPod Touch isn't an iPod. It's it's an iOS device. It's an iPhone. It's a weird iOS transitional device. It's a breakthrough internet communicator with uh, iPod to touch and controls. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's not. That's the iPhone. This is just the version of the iPhone that removed all the cellular stuff from it. Well, I didn't say the phone. I left the phone part out. Yeah, I, just I know. Said two of the three. I know, but it, that but that was referring to the i. <laughs> anyway, so yes, R.I.P. to the name iPod, but. Really, the iPod died when the iPod Classic got removed. That was the moment when the real iPod died. The iPod Touch, people can have feelings about it, and that's great. But, you know, I I feel like it's a lot less momentous than when the iPod Classic uh, was shut down. Yeah, but at least then it was like <laughs> the music lives they, on. They didn't do a <laughs> yeah. They didn't do a big press release like goodbye. To, you know, like now it's like okay, it's done, right? Because then there was still always this idea of like, oh, maybe they'll make a new iPod one day, but like it doesn't feel like it now. Mm-mm. No, there's no. It doesn't make sense. It, it really doesn't make sense. There are better devices to play audio than the iPod. And so it doesn't really make sense for anybody anymore. Other than the fact that the iPod Touch still had a a role to play just as a cheap iOS-ish, iOS device. But even there, um, I mean, it was good for kids, but there's also like the the iPad and the iPad mini. And um, it's just, I I see why they they shut it down and it it makes sense. And they hadn't updated it in a very long time. Um, The press release is super weird. Um, because Apple can't bear to talk about discontinuing a product. Their their uh, approach of always sort of like happy face at all times mm-hmm. is let's celebrate the music and look at all these places that Apple still does music because they can't they can't bear to even lead with the idea that like the last iPod is being laid to rest. But the, the body of the press release doesn't even talk about the fact that they're getting rid of the iPod Touch. Not until the last like five words of the press release. It is yeah. in the, it is in the second level head, heading, yeah. but even then they can't bear to say anything other than available while supplies last. They can't <laughs> say then the reason supplies won't last longer is that we're not making them anymore. They don't it's they can't like, bear to do this that. This is so wildly popular we might I, r- sell out of stock, so, you know. I don't understand cuz I get a company like Apple not wanting to admit defeat about a product that failed right like they always they always turn it around and say um you know it's not that the butterfly keyboard was bad it's that we listened to people and we made a new keyboard that they that is going to be great that's always what they do right when they replace something that was a loser with something that they're going to take another shot at is they don't Mm. say well that was a loser they say we made something even better and that's how they do it but that kind of pathology of like never admitting, never show weakness, never admit you ever did anything wrong, it, when it's about a product that hasn't been updated in years and is irrelevant and had a good run, um, like I don't, 
I don't have a problem with them pointing out that it's we've made this irrelevant because we have music everywhere in our lineup and it influences so much of what we do. We have a service. We have the HomePod Mini. We have all our devices. They're capable of high quality audio. Like there's that story to tell and that's fine. And the legacy of the iPod is a great story to tell. I just don't get why they have this pathology to like no one admit that we shut down this product. It's like... It's okay to mm-hmm. say we've stopped making the iPod Touch and the final, ver- you know, which is the final iPod supplies while supplies last, et cetera, et cetera. And they can't say it. I just, it's just, it's funny, but also frustrating. Like what? Just say it. Just be clear. Just be clear about what's happening here. And they can't bear to do it. It's so weird. Do you have any? anecdotes or anything you would want to share i know you were at the original ipod announcement right a very young jason snow is in the video people spot me in the video yep yeah from 2001 so uh, super important product uh basically saved apple um along with the imac um the imac gave them a more reasonable uh mac to appeal to people but the ipod halo effect which was the idea of Mm. uh the ipod being the first product that apple product that people bought and people had a positive experience with it and it sort of turned them on to the apple brand i was one of those people right i got an ipod mini and the rest is history that was by far the most important thing was that you needed to i know it seems funny now but the apple brand was kind of like nowhere so they needed to rehab the apple brand and so you put these three things together in that period which is the release of the imac the release of the ipod and apple retail and what you get is the Apple retail means they're very positioned to sell iPods, but they're also getting people in stores uh, who are now predisposed to like Apple because they like their iPod and the Mac is in the Apple store too. And it and people are like, oh, and there's that iMac. And people who have previously used PCs and they're like, well, I love my iPod. Um, Apple makes a computer too. Maybe I should actually look at that. Would that work better with my iPod? And I don't really love my PC. Like it it was the thing that saved Apple. Those three yeah. things. But the iPod rehabbing the Apple brand was super important. So it was a very important product. And yet so ephemeral, right? If you look at the iPhone being introduced in 2007, uh, iPod sales went down. It took a little while for the iPhone, uh, you know, and smartphones in general to kind of scale up. But it's a it's a very short lived phenomenon. It's a, like a decade of iPod, and now it's a um, you know now it's a step along the way to Apple and the iPhone. Um, and I've said this before about the personal computer industry that in some ways you look back at the computer personal computer industry and and uh, from our perspective now it looks like it's just sort of the run up to the smartphone in a way where which didn't we didn't know at the time obviously but now it seems kind of logical. The iPod is a little like that where yeah. like we weren't we weren't at the final form yet but it was the one that got us closer than we'd ever been before and you know there's a joke in the first episode of the reboot of doctor who in 2005 where uh, a character from three billion years in the future you know refers to a jukebox and says this was but according to these notes this was from the 20 uh, 21st century and was called an ipod and I think it's really funny because that joke hits way different now because now it's sort of like, you know, obsolete music things, whatever. Whereas at the time, the iPod was huge and it was funny that somebody would confuse it with a jukebox. But now 
Uh, I think showing how knowing that that's a good uh, reference joke. really was. Like, that's a really it, good it, joke. It, it's, it's, I think it's even better now because now it's just, you know, jukeboxes, iPods. These are all outmoded music things from the past. So, you know, the iPod saved Apple, no doubt about it. It was a huge product for a, a, a relatively short period of time and allowed Apple to make the, you know, to bring back the Mac and to make the iPhone and to be the company uh, that it is now. But I covered it all. And that was the thing that struck me last week's episode of Connected. You guys did a uh, a tier list of yeah. iPods. And I, I can... I can and, and have quibbled with some of the choices. Uh, also, I, I, I don't like how about. you guys... We got no... We've had no feedback. It's been a perfectly accepted... Yeah, I know. Everybody else you know. liked it. Why do, Why am I not on board? <laughs> also, you guys t- super caved on Federico and gave him way more power over that list than you should have. But no, my no, point... No, 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 no. I never caved. I either agreed to Federico or I gave him one when I wanted one in return. All right. I you're was just no a very savvy politician. Okay. Yeah. But here's what I wanted to say about it because I can I can complain about some of your choices. But what... It's not really relevant. Everybody's choices are their own. What I wanted to say is it struck me how different you guys view the iPod as people who were young when the iPod came out and were like super excited and attached to different iPods that were your first Apple product or, you know, Stephen, for example, likes that awful third generation iPod. uh, He's just got nostalgia. But it's the one that was the one he had. And so he loves it because he had it. And, And that's my point here is that I was covering Apple when the iPod happened. You know, the iPod was announced and I was, you know, 30, a 30-year-old 30 magazine writer and editor. And the whole run of the iPod, I was covering them and we were getting them in turn and writing stories about them and writing reviews of them and comparing them to the previous generation and being right. So I don't have the perspective of somebody who got one and it's like, oh, finally I've got one and I love it and I keep it for, you know, for years and I put stickers on and all that. That was not my experience. My experience was, well, this third generation iPod is a UI disaster. Um, and that, the, and it, and it was, but like, again, if, if you have a, an emotional attachment to it, that doesn't matter. And so it just struck me as a very different kind of product that I, I have nostalgia for, but it's a, of a different kind because I was watching Apple as a business issuing all the different versions and we were writing stories about them and seeing how they were developing and, and honestly seeing how it changed the fortunes of the company, um, that we were covering too, because that was a big deal. Like there were a lot of MacWorld readers who were unhappy that there was so much iPod coverage. Because it's like, mm. what can you even say about it? It just plays music. Write more about the Mac. And we're like, guys, people really like the iPod. We there's not, write there's about more, it more to say. They they release lots of Put iPods. The iPod on the cover every month if you can. Mm. People like them. Yeah. Just to just to state on this idea of giving Federico control, the the, the only four S <laughs> tier iPods are my four favorite iPods. Yeah. I'm just saying he, you guys, you guys thought that his choice of the last nano, which is a joke of a product that was trying to pretend to be, it was like, I, I iPhone, I iPhone, really I iPhone. And it's like, you're not, you're not an iPhone. You're like the bizarro Superman, right? You're, you're, you look kind of like an iPhone if I am not paying attention, but then I look and you are not an iPhone friend. And, and you guys are like saying the right things. are just like, whoa, that's really bad. And Federico's like, no, I think it's good. And, 
as the as the 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 not a draft the tiering went along it just kept like he got you guys to slide it no. up one space we and then later on he got you to slide it up another space no, the one that one federico that loved the move is the little square one no i thought it was uh, well the little one that you could wear as a watch right yeah, that got moved up to B. Yeah. Uh, it was previously in C, and I yeah, got Federico got me what I wanted, which was the original Nano in S. So I, I said, well, let's move uh, yours up to B. That yeah. was pure politics. No, I, I get, I get what you were doing. I just think mm-hmm. that that he, uh, he, there's some bad iPods that got higher rankings because you, you were willing to sacrifice the integrity in order yeah, to get yours. Because I wanted the, the puppet master, the the S tier. Well, you that I guess you did, but I still mm-hmm. think he got away with, uh, with some stuff. Anyway, I think it was a fun exercise even though you're all wrong uh-huh. and uh but the big thing was just that it struck me how your perspective on the ipod and this is true of everything right but especially mm-hmm. uh in this context of the ipod is based on sort of like where you were and how you interacted with it at the beginning yeah. and you know for me the ipod will always be it was a great product and it really transformed how people thought of apple but it was not my gateway product to Apple. And so I will always have a very different kind of emotional connection to the iPod than somebody for whom the iPod was the thing that made them kind of like their eyes sparkle and be like, oh, technology, right? That wasn't it for me. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, services, or even the content you create, because Squarespace have got you covered. With Squarespace, you can stand out in any inbox of Squarespace email campaigns. It isn't just websites. This is everything. It can be connected to a website. You can get a Squarespace. Why not encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers? And you can start them on the journey to becoming loyal customers, loyal readers. You just start with an email template. You customize it by applying your brand ingredients like the site colors, your logo. And then you also have built-in analytics to measure the impact of every send. And I want to touch on those two last parts, right? So customization and analytics. Because with Squarespace, it's so incredibly easy to get started with building the website. So you can build a best-in-class website with their beautiful templates that are all award-winning and you can customize it to fit your needs. It is as easy as browsing the category of business or site that you want to make as the perfect starting place. Then you can customize it to look exactly as you want in just a few clicks. And you can use insights to grow your business. If you've ever wondered where your site visitors or even your sales are coming from and which channels are the most effective for you, you can analyze all of this with Squarespace. Once you've got that data, you can improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or your most popular products and content. Go and check this out for yourself today. Go to squarespace.com upgrade and you can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required. And in that trial, you can build your entire website. They let you go in, you can build the whole thing, you can see how it looks, you can see how all the content scales for different screen sizes and everything. And then when you're ready to launch, you just use the offer code upgrade at checkout and you will save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com upgrade. And then when you sign up, use the offer code upgrade to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of Upgrade and Relay FM. Jason Snow, are you ready for some hashtag Ask Upgrade questions? Yes. First comes from Nathan. This is relating to what we were just talking about. I had to give you an answer and do the lasers. It was very complicated. Yeah, I, w- I wondered which one you were going to choose first. So Nathan says, 
Do you think Apple would reuse the iPod brand for something like a portable speaker, something similar to a Sonos Roam or Move or something like that? You know, I have always been kind of like on the fence about Apple reusing the iPod brand. Uh, you know, I thought it was possible they have reused a bunch of stuff. I will tell you that with that press weird press release last week, it's never coming back. That, that, oh, you think it's done so now? I, I think that was them putting, you know, literally, they're, even though they didn't talk about it, that's the funeral for the iPod brand. Also, I would say they already brought back the iPod brand. It's called the HomePod brand, right? Yeah. Like they, yeah. they, they have repurposed, because yeah. again, products with that eye, like they can't get rid of the iPhone and the iPad because they're just so indelible. But like iPod... I don't think that they're going to retire it. I don't think you you retire a product and then bring it back with the i name. Like you keep the i name on it if it's still selling and it's everybody knows what it is, but you don't come up with a new product that is is reusing it. Like uh, like iBook became iBooks, but but you know now it's just Apple Books because they they don't do that anymore. They they just don't do that anymore. So mm. I don't think it'll come back. I think HomePod is Apple's attempt to get. Uh, some of the magic of the iPod name in a different product. And um, I'm not sure Apple will make something like a portable speaker. That seems a little far afield. There are a million of them, although, you know, maybe. But even then, I just I just have a hard time seeing them um, bringing that name they back. They would call that the HomePod point. something anyway, right? Like, HomePod Roam, HomePod yeah. Mini. HomePod or, well, Go. They have that. HomePod Go. Yeah, that. I think uh, that's more likely. Yeah. Yeah, I... Honestly, feel like Apple's kind of embarrassed about the i name, even in yeah. all of their products. It is a, I don't know, like nearly thirty-year-old idea, right? Like that, the, hey, the internet's going to be a thing, right? Because every product that they release now has an Apple logo as part of the name. That's what they want it to be, right? They want to call it the Apple something, not the i something. Exactly. Um, and so I, I, I don't think that's the thing they want to do. Martin asks, where do you think... This is an incredibly complicated question, but I wanted to talk about it. Where do you think the line is between an electronic device being just that, an electronic device, and one that has to be legally bound to be an open platform? For example, Apple don't have to include an NFC chip in their iPhones, but if they do, it needs to be available to anyone, referring to a recent EU kind of decision or draft decision. But this is going... Like, we spoke about this before. Like, this idea... To be, for a platform to be open, for a product to be open. Do you have a line that you think something like this crosses where it goes from being closed to open? I don't know. It, it has to do with power. And uh, like, it, I think the idea here is that you want to let companies innovate and create the products that they need to create and have them not have to bear the additional burden of being right. It's different to build a feature than it is to build an API for third parties mm -hmm. that maybe you're also using. It's a different thing. And Apple, Apple's approach is generally they build the feature and then maybe later they let the third parties connect to the feature, but they build the feature. The problem is when Apple or any other company has so much power and control in a market that they um that by by doing this they are also just eliminating all the competition so there's no you know there's no one line to draw there's way too many 
uh, different inputs in order to get to the output. I, I think it's a difficult question because I think you you want to protect consumers, but you also want to protect the companies that are investing in the products and that are doing the innovating. And uh, every single one of them is going to be a, a judgment call. Like if you said Apple, like you could say, well, Apple is too powerful, so it can't include its own apps on the iPhone anymore. All iPhones must just um, come with an empty shell. Like that would be terrible, right? That would be terrible for people buying iPhones because they wouldn't work. And then you would have to go fig- find an app store and like it, it would be it would be really bad. At the same time, we've ha- we've had lots of discussions here about ways that Apple has abused its power regarding the app store. So the NFC chip, it, you know, it's another one of those things. Like the truth is the NFC chip is only really relevant because Apple made it so in so many different ways, especially in the U.S. and especially in terms of all the electronic payment stuff that really didn't take off, especially in the U.S. until Apple Pay came along. So, you know, they created it and now maybe they need to open it up a little bit. But I mean, that that's my answer, which is basically I refuse to answer. There isn't one line. So I have a bunch of components, which I think somebody could create a formula out of, but it's not me, right? So I think that there's an, a set of ingredients here for when something goes from being just like, hey, it's this thing that we make and we control it to now the, we have to give some of that control. So there is like a size in the amount of units that you sell. I think you get to a certain point where you've sold such an obscene number that they're everywhere. Prominence. So like when if you also have like an outsized uh, impact on the market. If something becomes intrinsic to society in some way, so like the really the only com- computer devices that have done this are the personal computer and the smartphone. I can't think of another one. Um, and then the biggest thing for me when it relates to Apple is if you have gotten to a point where you as the device maker are making money from the device in ways that aren't the sale of the device, so services from a closed platform that you control. So you you control the platform and you're making money from the services whilst also making money, obscene amounts of money from the sale of the device, right? Like you're already making so much money from selling the devices that you don't need to make any more money, right? Like you've, mm-hmm. you're making all the money, but yet now you've also decided you're going to make money from services on that platform while also locking that platform down and giving your services preferential treatment. At that point, which is a point that Apple have passed, you have to open it up. That's my feeling. Like For me, it's that last part, which is the biggest one, because people will say, what about PlayStation? What about Xbox? And like, I don't think the PlayStation or the Xbox meet these criteria. And like, this this is what I feel is the criteria, and I think of everything out there. The iPhone is really the only product that hits this. That's well, close. I don't ag- I don't agree that anything should be done based on whether a product that they sell is profitable or not with their profit margins. I just don't I just don't agree. I think that that is not mean? the way to do it. I don't I don't think saying <laughs> I don't think constructing a test that excludes game consoles but includes the iPhone because it has profit margins is uh a i would not advocate for something like that because i think the principle stands either way either you 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 know power and uh control and removing competition 
should matter regardless of whether like just saying oh no no we make our game consoles we lose money on every one and that's why we have eliminated all competition it, it, it so it's okay that we've eliminated all competition i don't think that's but competition I, I think that's hasn't right. been eliminated in the game console market there's more competition in the game console market now than there's ever been uh between consoles but not i don't have access to sony's uh store or or so or to sony's hardware without going through their store and having and paying you know their fee and likewise with microsoft and this is microsoft's argument too right it's like well we believe in open markets except for the xbox but maybe they're later but not yet yeah okay i, I understand what I you're just, saying i just i think that the, i, don't I think, think that's the, the thing same. to i think that's a thing to hide behind because because again try to imagine governments and and regulators saying what's your profit margin if you if you're if you're taking more margin ab- above this point with your hardware then the rules all change for you mm-hmm. but if you but you know if you don't if you're giving them away and then making money on the product because then you're just sort of saying we have different rules for different companies business models and i don't think that's the right way to view this well, i think the right uh, way to view this is exerting your power in certain areas uh over to eliminate all competition in other areas so are you st- so do you believe then that the PlayStation 5 should be an open platform? I believe that if Apple has to open its platform so does Sony. That's what I believe. To what? I believe that you either open pla- open closed platforms or you don't. But like open them to what? Like what are they being open to? I, I mean that's the question, right? Is like, well, so l- let me put it this way. If the EU said Apple, you have to um you have to offer alternative app stores. Mm-hmm. Alternative apps app stores have to be in your store where software can be downloaded from other vendors using money that you never see. And you have to do it. The game consoles should be subject to the exact same rules because I disagree with that's that. If that's the rule, that's the rule. And I don't think it matters that Sony would say, oh, but we don't. Because, you know, the, the response would be, all right, I guess we're going to sell our game consoles uh, at a at a higher uh, profit margin then mm-hmm. since we, we can't do this and their business model would change. But I think you can't say access for some but not for the rest that are doing more or less the same things in terms of having a, an entirely closed platform. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Like if, 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 this, like if we're just talking about the app stores part, like I think that the Epic Game Store should be available on Xbox, for example, because because like then you look at like well, because here's the thing, like if that if that happened, right? So now they're like, oh, game uh, game console makers, you have to allow for the Epic Game Store to be on your platform as well as your own. Then it's a business model thing because like Microsoft have already worked it out by offering Game Pass, right? So like that's like a new business model, and like Sony's like just bumbling around out there trying to work out some kind of subscription plan which is terrible so like then it's like well you've then got to make like the microsoft store a place you want to go to and like microsoft has done that by offering game pass right so then they can let the epic game store in and they've made their smart business move right to go back to what you were saying about like if if you've decided you don't want to make money on your console uh sales you've got to make then it, that can still be something you want to do but you've got to come up with other ways to make money in the place where you would then be open my point more is hinging. Like I agree with you. My point more is hinging on like this idea of the um, of it being you've got all of this stuff going on. Plus your hardware, the product that you make, is considered important to society. Where I would argue that, as much as I love games, the Xbox is not important to society, right? So like I just think that it does it doesn't come with this from my perspective the same level of like. 
you are now controlling well, something which is intrinsic to society and making tons of money on it. And that's a power argument, right? I would say that that's the power argument and not how yeah. much money they're making on it. Like, yeah. I, I think the argument is not the iPhone needs to be regulated because it's important it, or because uh, Apple is making a lot of money on every iPhone it sells. It's the iPhone and Android need to be regulated because they're the only two choices and everybody basically needs a smartphone. Mm. And so the amount of power that's exerted people, you know, companies can't not compete in those markets, even if they are kind of rigged for the uh, the platform owner that platform mm-hmm. owner is going to just eat huge amounts of money regardless and you can't get around it that that's the power argument right and i think in terms of martin's original question here about the nfc access i, I think a good model for a lot of this is let companies innovate and when the thing that they're innovating on becomes successful have them open it up and if they won't open it up themselves the regulator comes in and says well now that you've established this and it's successful you need to you need to have competition. And ideally you would have a way to do that that would not dissuade the innovation. And the truth is a lot of these companies as platform owners, they're going to have the upper hand even in an open competition environment because they're the platform owners. And that that's a huge home field advantage. But what you don't want to do is make it that you can't innovate without immediately giving it to everybody because mm-hmm. then what's the motivation to innovate? You distort the um, the... Uh, the incentives that these yeah, companies have. Yeah, I, I think the innovation part comes, sorry, the the opening up comes later. So like with the NFC chip, I do think now's yeah. the right time, right? Like it, Apple have gone out and proven for their platform that like having a wallet app which has access to NFC and you can put your card apps in it and stuff and like that's great. But like I do believe that, right, you've proven it now. You can't just keep benefiting from this completely yourself. Like you can't just keep right. reaping the spoils And if somebody can do it better than Apple... They should be allowed to. Then they should be allowed to. But the the flip side of that is, if you're going to come in with something that's crappy and say, oh, no, our customers are going to use this app that we did instead of what Apple's doing and it's bad, then you're going to be punished because you have a bad experience, right? Mm-hmm. Both of those things are true. It, 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 it's funny to use Wallet as an example because I think Wallet's actually a pretty good Apple implementation. Mm-hmm. And, and when Apple does a good job, yes, the barrier to competition is going to be higher. I'm okay with that. The advantage of the competition is that sometimes Apple doesn't do a very good job. Yeah. <laughs> and Like uh, home. And it will drive, potentially drive Apple to pay more attention and make their product better because there will be alternatives that people will select. Mm-hmm. I don't really know if we came to an answer on that question, but I think we did. I think we got there in the end, right? I think we're both pretty yeah. much on like the I same said, page. Like I said, there is no line. It's complicated. No, and like I know people don't like this thing, but there is that like know it when you see it kind of thing. I don't think this is a simple, like I said, I don't think you can make like a simple formula. But that gets to a certain point where it's like, you can't just, you know, you I just feel like you can't be so prevalent in the world and then just like you know you you're doing so you've made this device everybody has one but and you can't just keep like, all right we're just going to keep all of this for ourselves because as well like it doesn't benefit the customer right as you say right like if someone can come along and make a better wallet app then shouldn't I, as a user of this platform, have that ability to make that choice? But at the moment, the answer for a lot of this stuff is no. Right. 
Last one today, Jonathan asks, with exposure notifications, the Matter Alliance, and now FIDO, which is that passwords thing we were talking about last time, we're seeing more collaboration between the top tech companies. Do you think this is a trend we will continue to see? I think we'll see it. I think both both trends will continue, right? I think I think there are places where when the land rush is over, everybody realizes that now the benefit moving forward is to work together on interoperability. And so the home stuff is a great example where everybody tried to own it. And then in the end, they realized, well, this is how it's going to be. Nobody's going to own this. We really need to interact if you know, and, and interoperate if we're going to push this thing forward. So I think we'll still see some of that. Um, and we'll see places where everybody's going off on their own. I, I, I think we saw in the smartphone, beginning of the smartphone era, a pretty unique circumstance where there was just a huge land rush in so many different ways that everybody was just trying to get there first and get that first mover advantage, as they say, and like uh, end up with a big, uh, knowing that the clamps are going to come down at some point, uh, they want the biggest piece of pie before that happens so that they can they can like be defending their 40% of market or 80% of market share or whatever it is. Um, it's more mature now. So there's going to be less of that, but it, I'm sure it'll pop up in some other area. But like, yeah, if you're doing your Microsoft and Google and Apple, the only way that password things are going to work is by you mm-hmm. all working together. And, um, and I don't know. I think that even with all the competition that's out there, if you look at something like the OS vendors, I don't know. Does it really feel like they're at war with one another? It kind of doesn't. So it makes sense. Yeah, I think that like this also actually relates a little bit to the previous question, where I think a lot of tech companies are really keen to work with others now. If it like makes you know things that aren't like incredibly important to their core business, to be like, hey, but look, we work on together all the time, you know? Like, we're all in this together, you know? We love to work together. (laughs) If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, or you can use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members' Discord, which you'll get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com, and you can sign up for $5 a month or $50 a year. And you will get ad-free episodes with bonus content every single week. So there's always extra topics in Upgrade Plus that you don't get to hear unless you sign up. So go to getupgradeplus.com. Our thanks to Squarespace, Sourcegraph, and Things for the support of this episode. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to our members who support us every single week. Uh, and uh, thank you to Jason Snell for joining me as always. You can find Jason online. Is it sixcolors.com? What's funny about that? You thought I got lost? Yeah, you yep, can tell I got lost. a little bit. Yeah, I, I was trying out something new, right? And then I got lost, you know? So, and then Jason is at Jason L on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next week as we are really hurtling towards WWC. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. It's uh, Jason Snell here, and uh, Mike Hurley is over there, and we're both saying goodbye now, and so oh, goodbye. I see what you're doing. Yeah, okay. Fine. Mm-hmm.